This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about adductor strains uh, from uh, differential diagnosing, because there's even diagnosis within that diagnosis, uh, to treatment and expanding further to performance. Uh, but before we get into it, Brandon, how's it going? Going well, man. I like how you pointed to the side there. <laughs> great. I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we got a, we got an early morning one for you guys here. So, uh, we're drinking our, uh, our coffees here. Um, what'd you go out for your coffee? Looks uh, like, uh, a place a called uh, lucky seven. Okay. Um, you know what? You probably pass it on your way to coming in here, like visiting my house. Like maybe yeah. if you come off of parkway and, uh, that sort of stuff. Um, so lucky okay. seven, small little deli. Nice. Yeah. I usually swing by the Wawa. That's yeah. there. Oh, so, so if you go a little bit further, Lucky uh, Seven, better breakfast sandwiches, you know, coffee's just as good. So that's okay. the spot you want to go to. All right, I'll check it out. Uh, uh, I will admit it is not of the caliber of North Jersey breakfast sandwiches. I'll, I'll say that on, you know, to the thousands of viewers here, the quality of breakfast sandwiches in the North is, is superior. Our, our Taylor Ham. Yes, yes. So I will. I'll still stick to my guns. It's still pork roll, but okay. you do make a better sandwich. All right, all right. I I just have an espresso, but I have it in oh, my yeah. Colorado cup here uh, that I picked up in my many trips uh, to Colorado when I was doing my fellowship over at Regis University. Um, I'd say this one and my Sam's number three coffee cups are like two of my top coffee cups. Sam's number three, huh? Sam's number three. I frequented that diner. Uh, Oh yeah, Literally, yeah, yeah. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, they no, had everything there. It was amazing. Me and me and Raph, <sighs> uh, Raph and I would go literally constantly. Uh, Wait, that's in Denver. That's in yeah, yeah. All right, downtown Denver. Uh, I should have told you to go there. You just I, went to I know. While you I know, talk, I've told you about I'm it before, it, but I forgot. I have a yeah. brother's trip in July with my two older brothers to the mountains. Like we're going on hiking and that sort of stuff. Okay. I'm putting it in my calendar right now. You keep talking about it, but I need to put it in because now I'm so disappointed I missed out. There's, I think there's three of them, hence the name number three. Um, so, but the one I went to was in downtown Denver, like in the city area and downtown, you know. So, yeah. um, awesome food. We, I, I kept getting the Trailblazer. Um, Trailblazer. They have like these biscuits with country sausage gravy. It's freaking amazing. Um, yeah, their dinner's good. Like literally, I think one day I had like breakfast and dinner there. Wow. Lunch we were in the class for, so I didn't get lunch. Otherwise, I would have. Um, but yeah, that's impressive. Definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. Yeah, I put it in. I will say this: their coffee's a little suspect, but other than that, everything else is phenomenal. Right, their right. graham crack, get their graham cracker milkshake too, if you want to be a fatty. I wrote, get the trailblazer, and then I'll put in a. <laughs> what was it Gra- Graham yeah, it's like a graham cracker or like a s'mores milkshake. I don't know. It was fire though. All right, it's it's in. All right, all right. Thank you, sir. Can't miss it. 
All right. So now that we've talked about coffee, yeah. cups, and food, we'll go on to our podcast of um, <laughs> adductor strains. Uh, I love uh, particularly differential diagnosis, but uh, before I get on my soapbox there, um, anything you want to lead us off with or state in terms of adductor strains, clinical yeah, program, and I'll just run into, into differential. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, this is, uh, this is a fun one. Um, I think something that's maybe all along the lines of overdiagnosed or trying to, you know, almost umbrella term, uh, any pain into the general groin area. And you can add the athletic uh, pubalgia uh, into this group. Um, but, you know, even if it's a true diagnosis of any of those adductor groin strains, there's diagnoses within that. And, you know, that should, uh, um, you know, specify your treatment uh, versus, all right, you know, cookie cutter, everyone needs to do uh, Copenhagen's and everything like that. Um, try and get real specific and I'll let you dive into that. But um, I think uh, from what I've seen where I've had, um, you know, uh, you know, you and me both, Brandon, and we tend to be in, we, our clinics are, or our patients or clientele tend to come from other places. And the ones that those pesky um, adductor or groin strains that um, just haven't gotten better and they then decide to come to us, there, there's usually something that was missed. Uh, and we'll talk about that with differential diagnosis. So hopefully this is a, everyone listens in because I, I think usually people chalk this up as to kind of an easy one. And then you just, when it pulls again, it pulls again and you rinse and repeat the same program over and over and over. And if you look at a lot of the guys, especially in the pro realm, it's like they get out and a couple months later, it's the same thing. It's almost not nearly as bad as hamstrings in my opinion, or those calf strains, those people, it's just so you just see it. It's like, well, they're out again. They're out again. But adductor, especially in the hockey realm, um, those, those people are probably close. I'd say close third in the uh, chronically repeated uh, strain category, if it's truly strained or not. But um, yeah, that's my mini pre soapbox before your soapbox. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel bad for those, those, uh, chronic adductor or hamstring strains. I mean, you look at, uh, I think we're going to do another episode on hamstrings, uh, but you look at like Jose Reyes, um, I know this, this podcast is going to go a little later, but right now, Devin Booker, the Phoenix Suns is out with his fifth hamstring. So he's missing a crucial time in the playoffs. And it's like, Hmm, five hamstring strains. I was looking at the mechanism. Didn't really add up to like, he wasn't. I mean, he was sprinting, but it wasn't a, a powerful sprint. It's not like he's a track runner. Uh, to me, that this is coming from the low back. Something's being missed. Uh, and, you know, like you said, you, you, ch- you do your standard treatment. Uh, it's an umbrella term. Uh, if there's no, uh, you know, blood, right, because of an actual grade three tear, I really question some of these, these strains. And if it is a strain, it should probably just heal in like a couple of days. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about acute healings, like you know, it it, it sh- really should just um, heal up. So it makes me think that you know we need to do a better job with our, our differential. And um, an article that stood out to me um, in this region was when we went to fellowship. They're not fellowship. We went to residency, and there was an athletic pubalgia article. But uh, yeah, same. Granted, same region. Uh, forget the fact that athletic pubalgia. It has a great differential diagnosis section. Um, and it really, you know, and this is a couple months into clinical practice, 
it's from it has stood out over you know eight years on we need to do a better job of differential diagnosis things truly trying to do our best to rule in and roll out and not just oh it's adductor strain and just treat a big region because you, you have so many muscles in there that are technically adductors so like you said within that is it the pectineus the gracilis the adductor logus uh brevis uh adductor magnus right like there's so much tied in there yeah. which one really is it does it matter is it even that or do they have other impairments such as tight hips uh leading to it poor um, lumbopelvic coordination, control, stability, we'll say that in air quotes, are they having something from the lumbar spine, right? So that are leading to these areas being strained, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just treating them, the soft tissue for all you soft tissue junkies out there. All right, don't limit to yourself. Uh, don't limit your treatment to that, but we'll dive into treatment later. But just some things, I mean, just off the rip here, you know, anything in the hip region that it could be, right? You have bursitis, you have snapping hip, hip syndrome, you have labral tear, impingement, uh, often, again, big umbrella terms as well. Um, you have your uh, neurological type stuff, lumbar, patho uh, lumbar pathologies or, or lumbar radiculopathies, you pudendal or general femoral neuropathies, which uh, we were having a side conversation of a case you're dealing with, obturator nerve um, uh, pathologies, il uh, ilioinguinal uh, neuralgias, right? You have your adductor strains, your iliopsoas, uh, tendonitis, tendinosis, uh, rectfem, or not rectfem, rectus abdominis strains, right? All these things that need to be going through your head um, to help rule out. And then you have your maybe more serious pathologies, your avulsion fractures, stress fractures, uh, uh, femoral head fractures, those you should probably uh, rule, um, send out to get an MRI and imaging done to, to uh, help with that. Though that what, patellar, pubic percussion test um, might be able to give you a clue uh, on stuff like that. But mm. I mean, right there, that, that is a mouthful. That is a, you know, that should take you, you know, 10 minutes to go through that differential diagnosis and make sure you're not missing anything. Um, mm. And before you start treating and you get that script, Oh, it's an adductor strain. Like that's so easy. That's type one reason that requires no thought process. Mm -hmm. um, so next time, you know, you get therapists out there and you guys get, Someone who's like, oh, I strained my groin. Great. They're telling you the region where their pain is. But as you often say, Jeremy, pain is a liar. Um, you know, a doctor spends, you know, a physician, let me rephrase that. A physician will spend, you know, five minutes max with a patient and write a script for an adductor strain. Great. Okay. Your job to go a little deeper and try and, um, you know, rule in and rule out and hedge your bets on where do you think this stuff is coming from. And I'll tell you, it's probably most of the time, hip, pelvis, lumbar, spine that mm -hmm. we need to be treating instead of the soft tissue. Not to say you can't do a little, little work to that area, but um, yeah. you need to look at other areas. And like, if you haven't been exposed to many of these acute ones or ones that are pretty definitive, uh, ask your patients, um, especially ones with chronic issues, you know, get a good story of how they came to be to you. You know, you'll have so many times where someone is classic. I mean, not as probably not as much as, um, you know, adductors probably not as much as, uh, the classic hip flexor or hip flexor, tendonitis, tendinosis, tenderness, tight hip flexors, uh, whatever you want to say. And then they try treating that for a while. And then eventually they're, it's like, that's for months, months, months. And then they get imaging and they're like, Oh, it's a labral issue or some sorts, um, versus. So 
did we even really need to know that was a labral issue? Could we have figured things out the first time, maybe done some hip mobilization, spine, you know, soft tissue as well, if you want, um, and prevent that um, thought process? Because let's face it, once you know you have a labral issue, it kind of changes your, your trajectory of your life. Um, I just saw a good article on the, from Dr. Howard Lukes. I think we talked about this last one. You can't unsee your image. Um, so a lot of the time, like, you know, these people, these chronic muscle irritations or strains and that sort of stuff, they go through the paces and they do it round after round until eventually they do more imaging. And then they, oh, this whole time, um, you know, it's, uh, it's been more of a joint based thing or something of that nature. Um, so that's, you know, something to keep an eye on, you know, if we're truly this autonomous primary practitioner, it's our job to figure out the first time to avoid, um, you know, the need for further imaging and further medicalization and planting those, essentially those nocebo thought viruses of, well, yeah, I've had this pain for a year. Uh, now I got all these images and I've come up with three diagnoses. Um, so, you know, really take, uh, take into account, like really listening to those people's stories. And then you can really start to see like, Oh yeah, they may have presented with a, you know, that classic groin strain, and then they didn't get better clearly with other interventions. Um, and now they've late got lumped into four other things, but, um, that's something I, um, I, I, especially when I started doing a better job of listening to my patients and diving a little bit more deeper into their history, I started to find that out a lot, especially yeah. more with the hip flexor component than the classic adductor. Yeah. As you were talking, I just kind of, I think we're at a, a crucial time here in, you know, 2020 um, in the medical world, especially with physical therapists or conservative treatment, we really need to start questioning and challenging um you know, the medical model and anatomical model, like even till this day, we're being taught stuff that the origins were from like 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Like we've advanced, um, you know, just in so many uh, different ways and realms that we should really start challenging some of these uh, traditional um, diagnoses, especially pathoanatomical. And like you said, listen to the patient and find out where, you know, the, the origins really are. Um, you know, it's like, it's like hockey. You get a hockey assist, right? The assist that led to the assist for the goal, right? Like, well, what's the problem? What's the impairment? What's the history leading up to what led to the injury? Let's, let, let's start looking at that and not the injury itself or, or the complaint itself. Um, but again, getting that bigger picture, um, that patient communication aspect and, um, you know, trying to discern from there what's really going on. Yeah. I had a you know, semi-related note. I had a patient last night or yesterday. Um, she had, uh, she was trying to relate to, she works out, body builds, does some power lifting, um, had left hip pain. Uh, she related to after a C-section. Um, and then she said after with further, um, discussions, a lot was going on when pain started, uh, divorce C-section, uh, is a nurse during, um, a high trauma place and then COVID nurse, such and so forth. 
she was talking about like hip flexor, also point towards her groin as well. Uh, then started developing right hip pain and also reported the back. Um, and instead of just going in, she's like, oh yeah, working on it and that sort of stuff. Instead of just doing exactly what she's doing herself, which adds no value. I mean, anybody can get so right. That's the thing that digs into there. There's every gun available now guns, the massage guns are what, not even a hundred bucks anymore. Um, you know, there's tons of tools out there. Um, actually, you know, I was assuming, you know, there'd be more lumbar stuff with her. It was actually on the, on the original involved side, a ton of T-spine stuff. I worked her T-spine and instantaneously pain-free squat. Um, I also did some hip mobilizations cause I found out that, you know, a lateral glide, uh, afforded her almost 10, 15 more degrees of pain-free flexion. But, you know, me not assuming it's like, oh, it's, you know, you know, just someone who's overworked at tight hip flexors. Um, she got a ton of, ton of benefit in that first session. So, you know, you know, make sure you guys think outside the box for these things that are labeled easy diagnoses, uh, cause you can do eccentric, uh, hip flexor work or you know, again, uh, the whole protocol for adductor strains and that is what the, the whole Copenhagen series. I don't think that's changed too much. Isometrics decentric loading, especially for sports and trying to work on, you know, decelerations and, you know, your brakes essentially. Um, but, you know, if it keeps reoccurring and let's face it, the athlete uh, probably let's say before the injury never really worked on this stuff. And then in theory, you got them more capacity and increased their eccentric loading or capabilities and they're still re experiencing the pain or it's still reoccurring it's probably not the muscle truly being the issue at that point it's probably something else um in this particular individual what really cued me was she had notable like atrophy of her right quad compared uh her left quad compared to her right um so that that's clearly something else unless again she ruptured her quadricep muscle um, or had an ACL surgery and mm. something like that. No, something up the chain is leading to decrease input to that whole left lower extremity. So, you know, think outside the box, everybody. And I'll even uh, add to that, you know, let's say it is a strain. Let's say these things are strains. Let's say these things are tendonitis, tendinopathies. Um, you know, there, it's a reason. It's, it's being overused. It's working too hard. So the chances are it's probably not as weak as you think it is. And yet, what do we do? Oh, let's strengthen it more. Let's improve the capacity of that area. Fine. But if it keeps happening, um, chances are we have to work to offload that structure or those structures that keep getting strained because they're working too hard. Well, why are they working too hard? Well, other regions are either limited motion-wise or, uh, you know, to use the term balance, restoring muscular balance or timing um, synergistic timing, right. Of the antagonist muscles and things like that, um, is what's going to help. So mm -hmm. if you look at hamstring strains, well, why is that hamstring keep straining? Well, are the glutes not working enough? Is there not enough motion in the hip, right. Can't to fully extend, right. Cause it's a two joint operator. Same thing with the mm -hmm. adductors, 
right? Except adducts are typically one joint, but is there not enough motion within that hip internal rotation into abduction, even adduction? Uh, is there not enough lumbopelvic rhythm um, or control or motion to extension, which may be limited, like you said, by the T-spine? Are the abductors not working enough? Um, or, or working when they should be? Are the abdominal muscles not stabilizing where they should be, where the adductors need to kick in uh, more and, and work kind of overtime? So mm -hmm. we have to start thinking, why is this muscle getting strained? Well, it's an overuse thing. Tendonitis, tendinopathy, it's an overuse thing, right? So if it's an overuse thing, why do we just keep on strengthening that area? Like, let's take a step back and treat something else. Um, you know, so I, I, I come from that approach a lot of times. Like, Let's start doing things that other people aren't doing. Like, exactly. And that goes to asking your, your patient, what have you been doing? Well, I went to this other place. We did a bunch of exercises. Great. Well, I'm not going to do that. Let's do something else. Mm. I, I couldn't agree more. I think with me examining and having an impairment-based model, like, all right, what's truly the issue with the patient? I find more issues and let's say adductor strains of like your hip abductors, uh, hip extensors, the core like with those muscles, um, you know, on the involved side compared to the other. All right. Yeah. If it's truly strained and it's weakened and get lengthened real quick. Uh, yeah, that should obviously be weak, but the surrounding musculature is even more weaker compared to the other side. So that's just, you know, again, it's a whole system. If, um, if someone's not working, um, you know, someone's going to pick up the slack. I always kind of link it as a group project. If, you know, two members of your group aren't working, causing the other people to work more, they're going to be pissed off, annoyed, angry. And that's, that's, you know, pain and discomfort. Um, so it's just something that we, we need to look at. Um, I always, I want to bring up something, you know, especially on this, the research of strain articles and a lot of these things, um, and, you know, especially these crazy eccentric programs and whatever it may be. A lot of it is, you know, we have to take also into account of, you know, natural spontaneous healing, but in a lot of the articles, you know, they have their cohorts and whatever like that. And then they just base the research off of the people who complete the studies. You know, a lot of the time, obviously, if you drop off, you're not included into the, to the results of it. So how many of the people who drop off, they say you start off with a hundred and then you finalize with 60 that dropped off because they weren't getting results. Oh yeah. The 60 that did this eccentric program, they had great results compared to the ones that did nothing at all, or um, did concentric loading or whatever it may be. What happened to those other 40? Yeah. They dropped off, but what was their rationale? I think we need to do, I don't know if it's possible. Oh, I'm sure it's possible. I think we need to do more research in the drop-offs than we do on the ones who kind of stick it out. Cause if we put up, a, we chalk up a lot to spontaneous healing and you look yeah. at some things of like general exercises, just as good as specific exercise or general techniques are just as good as specific manual techniques. Let's look at the people who drop off. Um, so we can get a real true picture of their saying Maybe those 40 uh, people that dropped off got worse or didn't get better or whatever, or ended up having surgeries. We just like, oh, they didn't show up. They stopped going. Fuck them. Um, but, um, you know, that's something, you know, take into to account with these, you know, basing all our treatment decisions on these research articles for things such as adductor strains. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Mm -hmm. 
We'll just I listen. think that kind of covers like treatment. I don't know. Is there anything yeah. else you guys you, you want to uh, kind of dive into? I mean, it's not. We're not saying not to do Copenhagen's, not to to, mm-hmm. to do all that stuff. But um, love that stuff. Just, just, it looks go, great on the gram. Deeper, going yeah. deeper uh, into mm-hmm. really the the beginning part, your basics, making sure you're targeting the right things, targeting other structures, not making your sole intervention just the adductor group um, with these patients. Uh, making sure they have enough um, available range within the joints so the muscle can better operate. Um, you know, if that joint's not moving, uh, that muscle, you know, let's look at soccer meals, doesn't have the ability to, to work in its full, full um, range. Also, a lot of these patients, like we said, they lack sufficient hip extension. Like Jeremy said, he's looking at their extensors. They lack lumbar extension. So therefore, maybe they go into a TL junction of their T-spine. They may lack abdominal uh, anterior abdominal control or oblique control. And then for those of you guys who like your slings, you know, maybe you work on some sling strengthening. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can, you can do. Um, so we're just advocating not to focus solely on the adductors. Uh, as also not just to do a general shotgun approach and just strengthen everything either, like have some thought process behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't make sense to people, like the idea of like, we all know like knees and total knee replacements and ACLs and that sort of stuff, try and get the quad going without like full extension of the knee. We have studies, was that um, Fluger Life uh, 2021 of doing hip mobilizations that improve uh, hip extensor and hip abductor strength. Um, so, you know, think of it like that, you know, if you're not able to get the full range, um, you're not going to be able to hit that optimal length tension relationship, fire up the muscles. Um, and it's important for all lives uh, and styles, whether it's athletes or not. Um, so again, try and try not to just do stuff that anybody can look on Instagram or YouTube type in, I think I strain my groin and just find out, Oh, it's a bunch of Copenhagen's um, or isometrics or whatever it may be. Um, Try and, you know, provide that extra value of care. Why people should come to us. We're here to speed up the process. Yeah. You keep doing Copenhagen's after some period of time, you probably will get better, but what can we do to get you better faster? And hopefully prevent it from reoccurring. I think that's where our real value is, um, is especially for any of the strain categories, is preventing reoccurrence. Um, that's always ideal. Yeah, t- talking about Instagram and finding exercises, I actually have a conversation with um, a coworker of mine, and you know, it's easy to find like, oh, the next trendy, cool, high-level, explosive exercise on Instagram. Like Instagram is great for that. Mm-hmm. 95% of your patients can't, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's understanding, you know, where that patient is giving them their appropriate treatment at the appropriate time um, and understanding regressions and progressions, understanding your dosage, understanding, you know, these strength conditioning principles to get that patient to do a high level stuff, you know, do they need that high level stuff or is it just nice and fancy and look cool, but that patient can't do it. And you're actually putting them at risk because you want to try something, um, that's too advanced for them. Great kudos that you want them to, that you're trying this stuff, but also understand who you're having them try. You know, uh, we're, we're working with um, a girl who's, I think she's had four knee surgeries, um, four ACL uh, tears, two on each side. Um, this is a, our first time seeing her. Um, and, you know, so we're talking and it's like, well, she's had four surgeries. Like it's going to take probably longer for, 
her to really come back from it. Um, so, you know, that's how the conversation started. It's like, all right, well, can your patient do this? Um, and then we just, we were just scrolling online and I was like, you know, better or more advanced isn't always better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to be able to do this in a controlled environment before we go do X, Y, and Z. So we kind of got in a rabbit hole of a discussion. Um, and it, you know, it kind of just made more sense to, uh, to my coworker. It's like, yeah, like, I see what you're saying. I have to do X, Y, and Z with her. And then she came in and we're working she was looking pretty good. I'm like, all right, you know, like she's doing well. She just needs to continue like this phase of strengthening is just going to be longer for her. Like she has a lot of uh, strengthening to do um, where, you know, she's getting a lot of physiologic action tremors. Why progress her? Why? Because, you know, she's at six months. Like, no, her knees shaking, her quads still shaking. Let that give it an opportunity to grow. Give it an opportunity to hypertrophy, right? Because that's going to lead to increased cross-sectional area and then increased strength, increased contraction, increased explosion, uh, explosiveness. So, like, you know, for her, it's just she's just going to have an elongated time. And that's okay, but we should understand that not everybody fits into these timelines that are made um, for the masses, you know, sometimes we have to alter them, which we've talked about in uh, your ACL course um, and probably other podcasts that these timelines are just guidelines. They're not, you know, um, you know, the, the Ten Commandments. Like that. Definitely couldn't agree more. That's um, I have a that's for, that's probably this is probably good for another episode on something of this nature. But um, yeah, I think that that covers. Anything else that you want to talk about with adductors and that sort of stuff? Some big points, you know, make sure you do your due diligence and differential diagnosing of things outside of the, let's say, the athletic pubalgia group of like, you know, the psoas or the hip flexor group, the adductor groups and their all their respective muscles in between. Uh, the core as well, you have some, that's a component in, of that whole group. Um, but then looking outside of things, the joint, uh, labral OA as well um you know spine look at nerves obturator uh, femoral so look at things outside the box and then uh you know same same theme when it comes to treatment um you know let's make sure we're we're treating the whole person not just dialing in on just the the proposed diagnosis um and you know make sure you're listening to the patient to kind of help you know facilitate both examination diagnosis and treatment yeah. Uh, last little clinical pearl. We've talked about the lumbo-pelvic region. Can that pelvis move in the transverse plane and rotate around the hip joint? That is huge, especially in these adductor strains and rotary athletes and things like that. Do they, or can they just move front and back in the sagittal plane? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found that to be key. Well, I can't like it's, and you wonder why in there. A lot of people don't even have the ability to dissociate in those particular areas. And um, I know a lot of purists who are just uh, movement optimists don't really care about those sort of things. And it should just, we should, people should move and doesn't matter how you do it. Uh, I think it starts to matter when it's, you know, your second, third, fourth offense at these sort of things. And I think it warrants getting it looked at and if addressing it resolves their symptoms and makes them better. I think there is a there's a time and place for that sort of stuff. Yeah, if, if you're somebody who's never worked out, you're obese, you're just out of shape. Yeah, just general movement's going to be fine, right? That mm-hmm. I understand when these things apply versus somebody like Jeremy said, higher level, 
or you know multiple offender repeat offender well now we need to start looking how you're moving and that's just getting you to move mm-hmm. absolutely great right. stuff all Let's right that. Um, we'll wrap it up yeah uh listen to our uh intro there uh for uh, upcoming courses and information and mentorship and consulting and uh yeah thanks for tuning in guys and uh cheers coffee cheers thanks for tuning into this episode of nips and sips if you liked what you listened to please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms please rate us on apple podcasts if you enjoyed the show interested in one of our courses go to www.iosmt.com. Interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice? Visit us at therehabcoaches.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations, whether that be clinical or SIPs. At Manips and SIPs, at The Decent Doctor, and at Think Like a Fellow. Thanks for tuning in. And cheers, everyone.